Mindfulness Mode 338. When we are in the right here, right now, my belief is that truly everything is okay. And I hope everything is okay with you and that you are enjoying a mindful day. This is Bruce Langford. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode. As you know, I'm the host and creator of this podcast. And I am so appreciative to you for being a listener because that's what makes it all worthwhile. Thank you. And if you're brand new, I hope you like it and I hope you have a chance to to share the episode and subscribe on whatever whatever app you're listening because that always helps the show when we have subscribers. I just returned from an exciting get-together. Let me tell you the story. Back in May of 2010, I received a text from a woman named Cassandra. She said, this may seem like an odd question, but did you ever teach music at the elementary school level? Well, the answer was yes, and it turns out Cassandra had been a music student of mine back in 94 when she was at my school for grade 3 and 4 before moving to northern Ontario. She was in university at the time training to be a teacher. She said, I hope that I can make as much of an impression on my future students as you did on me. Then back in April of this year, I got another text, this time with pictures and a video. Her choir was performing a piece of music I taught to Cassandra when she was in grade three. She was now teaching at a school in Saskatchewan, Canada. The song I was hearing was the same song I taught Cassandra back when she was in grade three. Now, in 1994, it had been announced that the music program was being canceled at our school. And with the principal's blessing, I took on the challenge of saving the music program. I wrote a song called Save Our Music. The children sang it in a concert at the school to raise awareness, and we recorded a whole album, a cassette at the time. After the cassette was made available, the principal called me down to his office one day and he explained that he had just received a phone call from a superintendent at the Board of Education office. They wanted to know what was going on because all of the phone lines at the board office were jammed with callers explaining why the music program at our school should be continued. Well, the program was saved and we continued to have band concerts and musicals and extracurricular ensembles and so much more. Well, this morning I received a message again from Cassandra and this time she was right here in town and she wondered if we could get together. So I met with her. She brought her husband and her mother along to talk about a woman who is passionate about music and sharing it with children. Wow, we talked for over an hour. She told me about her choir at her school and how she and her husband also lead the music at their church. Oh, Mindful Tribe, you never know what far-reaching effects you might be having on the people that you are influencing. And I was just thinking, do me a favor, will you? Email your story to me about how you've made a difference, a surprising situation that's popped up in your life. Mindful Tribe, just send it to bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and I'll share your stories on the air and send you a Mindfulness Mode tote bag. So this is a shout out to you, Cassandra, and your husband and mom. Thanks so much for reaching out and meeting with me today. 
And on today's episode, I'm excited to introduce another friend of mine, a connector. She's an influencer, another influencer, a warm and passionate woman who has introduced me to other great guests on my show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the mindfulness of Debbie Dashinger. Debbie, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, I have had to mindfully become mindful several times today. And not even in preparation for the show, but just because of life happening. So it, I couldn't be in a more perfect place to connect with you on the subject. Well, I am so excited. And I just want to share a little bit about you. But uh, yeah, before I do, I just want to ask you about your take on mindfulness. What is the meaning of mindfulness in your life, Debbie? Yeah, Mindfulness for me is to be mindful of. And to be mindful of, to me, means to be aware, to be conscious, and to notice things, mindfully notice things that brings one back to the present. And just as a juxtaposition, when we're thinking about the future, we are in worry. And that is control of us. We are not being mindful. When we're ruminating over the past, we are in regret. And again, not mindful. So the way to be here now is to be mindful where where we're present. And what else do I want to say about it? It's It's really very simple and it's really profound. And when we are in the right here, right now, my belief is that truly everything is okay. If we have breath, if we are in a space, if we're sitting on something, if we have things around us to look at, everything's okay in the now. And we have everything we need. And the other piece I think that's super important about mindfulness is acceptance acceptance exactly of what is as it is without needing to change it, control it, rearrange it, just acceptance. And I love the phrase acceptance is the answer to all my problems for today. I love that phrase too, Debbie. And I'm loving this time together, just just spending this time in the moment. Debbie Dashinger is an expert invisibility. She's the author of a number of best-selling books, including Dare to Dream, Wisdom to Success, and PR Magnet. Debbie does red carpet interviews, and she was previously an award-winning actress and singer. She's a media personality. She's been interviewed on over 800 radio and TV shows. She's a dynamite keynote speaker on stage. And she helps leaders and global messengers write best-selling books, learn what their message truly is, and she schedules clients on media interviews as well. So, Debbie, I know that you have quite a story, quite an interesting journey has brought you here to this moment. Debbie, tell me about you as a little girl when you were eight years old. What kind of a kid were you? What were you like? I was a handful. Were you? <laughs> I really was a handful. Were you spunky? Totally spunky. I had so much energy. 
I had so much energy. So the good part of me being eight is incredibly animated. I had a fearlessness in a particular regard about entertaining. So, you know, my grandfather was actually really big in the music field. He was a world-renowned composer, inventor, and speaker. And so we would have parties, these huge parties at his music school. And always my brother, who has since become a professional composer and you hear his music on CBS Sports and the channel, he would write a song and he'd write lyrics for me to sing it. And it was nothing for me to get up in front of people at the music school and we'd sing a song about my grandpa. It was awesome. Same token, you know, I would it was actually where I thrived. Like that was home for me. That was where I lived out loud in a really easy, fulfilling way. So yes, there was a gregariousness about me and I loved to play, loved to play. I was very creative, very imaginative. And that was the good stuff. So the not so good stuff is I, I used to describe myself, Bruce, as awkward, very shy, for sure, very introverted. And what's interesting about it, I had an awareness, an aha this year, that it was not that at all. It was actually that I was incredibly self-conscious. I grew up in a space that didn't provide me with a lot of nurturing that I needed, that I said a child needed to feel special, to feel heard, to be listened to. And the reason is I had a dad, Holocaust survivor, and he was not there when I was born. And I didn't meet him till I was a child of five or seven. And then it was a very strange connection thereafter going to visit him periodically. And my mom, bless her heart, raising two children on her own as a teacher, it was a big deal, a hard deal. And, um, And she had a lot going on in her space. I think she was pretty committed to misery. And that was hard for me because I was a really joyful kid. So it felt like a lot of darkness to me. And the way that I internalized all of that is I really felt there was something terribly wrong with me. Wrong with how I looked, wrong with how I acted, wrong with my beingness. Because if there wasn't something wrong with my beingness, surely... I would have the love, the nurturing, the recognition, and the space to be heard and seen. So that was what I decided. And of course, when you decide that, there's a lot of beliefs and a lot of experiences that go forth from that. When when I say I realized that this year that I was really self-aware, what it was like to be me was I felt like I had a camera that was outside of me looking at me all the time. So I was never present right? Mindfulness is being the observer of exactly what is in a peaceful way. But I was not, I was the reactor all the time and reacting against myself, uh, belittling myself, judging myself. It was really hard to be me because I'm trying to engage in life and see, watching myself at the same time. So that's the amalgam of who I was as an eight-year-old. And you know, what I had to contend with, the journey that I had to go through. And what's most interesting about the components or the qualities, when you don't feel seen and heard, when you don't feel special, it's actually a big deal to start stepping up in front of a microphone or a camera 
And even though back then, that's actually where I thrived, the more I began my healing journey internally, as I got much older, decades older, it became harder for me to show up on the outside. I started getting very nervous when I sang in front of bands, very nervous about speaking on stage, Mm -hmm. very nervous to have a spotlight on me, very nervous to have a birthday party and people come and me be the center of attention. And I have learned, and it's still a journey and process, but I've learned that that wound was actually my gift. So the wound of feeling like there are doubts about being seen and heard, the truth is that it's actually the gift I've come here to give to people in this lifetime. It's, it means that I need to be mindful about continually saying yes and doing things anyway and in spite of what some voices may tell me, because I know that's my wheelhouse. I know that's why I'm here. I know it's my mission. And it helps me so much working with clients. Because so Debbie, when did, I just want to cut in here. Yeah. When did you realize that that pain you were suffering was actually a positive thing in your life that you could spin for the best? Yeah, I don't think, um, I think when I was younger, there was just no choice. That was really my joy spot. Nothing else really made me feel so happy. You know, I played violin, I sang, I acted. That was the best thing. As a little kid, I started going away to summer stock camps so I could still act and sing. So that was definitely just a thing. It was all I knew I was ever going to do. And it became mindful, actually, way past my healing journey and maybe within the past decade where I started to realize, oh, you know, people were talking about their why. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I so get it that where this was such a deficiency is actually the why I'm here. So that was the revelation for me. Well, I'm interested to talk a little bit more about your father being a Holocaust survivor. What part of that do you carry with you every day? That's profound, Bruce. That really is. Thank you for even asking. I don't think I've ever been asked that. You know, children of extermination of become what they call second generation. And second generation children are known, this is a scientific fact, they are known that they carry the PTSD. And it's fascinating to have not had a father in my life very much or around very much, but still to have carried that anxiety and PTSD within me. So that's for sure what I carried. I will say that I have an incredible sensitivity when movies come out about the Holocaust or information. I get welled up as though it was my experience. Very difficult. I've still not been able to go go to the Holocaust Museum in Los Angeles. I just don't know. I'm sure I would manage it. You know, I can handle anything, but on some level it's like, ah, I just don't know yet if I can go there. So if it's meant to be, that will happen at some point. And I think the other part of it, and I'll say that these are real pluses. One thing that it gave my father is he, (laughs) he started running from life a lot. He became a professional runner. He worked for TWA Airlines internationally because he spoke five languages and travel was the hugest part of his life. He climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. He was a great adventurer for him to sit still and not keep moving away from and doing 
was an inherent energy inside of him. I'm sure it's how he coped, but it's also, you know, gave him great experiences. And I found I had some of that. And it wasn't for me about running, but the idea of adventure, camping, you know, being somewhere in the wilderness, going and traveling, things like that. There's no doubt what side of the family I got it from. So I'm super grateful. And I've been able to express to him in letters how grateful I am that genetically what was passed down to me were a lot of very good things and qualities. So there is that injury and I'm aware of it and I'm compassionate with it. And I think mindfulness is also a great self-compassion to have an awareness and an understanding. Uh, It doesn't need to be changed. It can just be and I can recognize the energy and move on. Well, you've been driven to help others. I mean, that's how it appears. You you are just such a giver. It's so tremendous. Just to know about your books, you know, uh, Wisdom to Success and Dare to Dream. What motivated you to write these books and how did you get to the point where it actually happened? Oh, golly. Golly, it was such a, it really was a journey. And my journey has been so interesting I, I was an actress and a singer, and then something shifted, and I didn't know how to deal with the shift because literally that had been my entire life identity. But I knew enough when it wouldn't go away to honor it. And in honoring it, Bruce, several things came up. I mean, first of all, three years of nothing. So it's a lot of trust and discomfort to not be doing acting anymore and not know what was coming. But when it came, it was slow and interesting. I did jewelry for five years and sold in stores. I went to Toastmasters and got my gold medal. I started doing speaking out into the world and presentations and then... I got a call to do voiceover work for cartoons, and I loved it, loved it, made great money, wanted to keep doing it. My agent was sending me out, and I saw a call for radio, and I thought, well, that'll get my voice out there, so I started this radio show, and it became Dare to Dream, and from Dare to Dream, I started recognizing the things I wanted to accomplish, whether it was for me to do a a Los Angeles marathon or write a book or go whitewater rafting or travel to a particular country. I had a bucket list and I learned a recipe to create everything. And when I saw it worked every time I was on fire and my bottom line was, I have to tell people about this. So I got the revelation okay, now I get how to create big. Let me share this with other people because this is a real gift. And that is how Dare to Dream was born. Wow. And tell me about some of the feedback you received from that Dare to Dream book and your radio show. Is there a story about about someone you can share with us who was so inspired by you? I have a gentleman who lives in Spain by the name of Wari. And very early on, he was following my radio show. And I think along the way, there are certain people who touch you. He was one of those. I have a tendency that there's a couple of my faithful, loyal listeners who will write to me every so often and let me know how they are. So I'll tell you quickly that Wari lives in Spain, originally from Nigeria, and he was really feeling down in a marriage that didn't work, in a career he was unhappy with, he was a musician, and he wanted to move, and he wanted to change up everything he was doing. So he started following my book, and 
and he was implementing everything and he would write to me about what he was using and how it was changing. So he took on his marriage first and he completely changed the tenets of his marriage so that it was one that worked instead of it was one of resistance. So he now has a really lovely marriage with this woman. He started to teach music out into the world and get students. And he made all of his students buy my book. And there were a few times he hit some walls and things weren't working. He wanted to move to Canada and he could not get past the visa situation. So he didn't know what else to do. So he started a mastermind group. And everyone in the mastermind group, he said, had to buy my book and they would meet and discuss what their dreams were and support each other with accountability to create that. So all these lives were being changed in Spain. I didn't even know these people. And on Facebook, he was constantly sending me these beautiful pictures of his students with my book, his mastermind with my group book, his friends, his musical friends. It was so meaningful to me. So uh, that's the worry story. I still get letters from him. We are still in touch. And the one thing I do, anytime I put out a book or something big like that, I always mail him a gifted copy of whatever it is I'm doing and a little letter, a little love letter, you know, because I really respect how hard he's worked and how much he's changed. Wow, that's a wonderful story. That is wonderful, Debbie. And, uh, you know, I recently uh, was lucky enough to be with you at the New Media Summit in San Diego. That was a fantastic experience. Tell me something that's come out of that event that is something in your life that you're working on now, or maybe it's someone you met. Wow. That twice we've been there, Bruce. It was so yes. profound. I mean, I will say, on the one hand, I definitely have some new friends, without a doubt, yourself included. And not just friends, but colleagues who are doing the same things out in the world very differently. But I find that so exciting to have this tribe literally around podcasting and expressing ourselves out there in our. our compulsion almost to get to know people and have a master class through our show and that we really love what we're doing and we all have such unique ways that we put it out there. I also feel like I have connected with people. So here's one thing that's actually very interesting. I, I'm doing an anthology book. So I do a lot of media things out in the world. I'm a book writing coach. I take books to a guaranteed bestseller and I help people get booked on media interviews. And that's my my help with clients. And so I'm doing an anthology book. And what's really interesting is that several of the attendees of the New Media Summit, very surprising, but they saw the calls that I put out there and they've been coming forward to work with me, to dedicate a chapter. And I'm thrilled. It's like, I don't have to vet these people. I know how amazing they are and how awesome. I don't just get to play with them at that summit. But now I get to work with them. And to me, that's a cherished relationship that's ongoing. So pretty exciting stuff. Debbie, you are you are just just doing great things out there. Now, I want to ask you a, a question about bullying. And uh, I've worked in bullying prevention for over 10 years. And I've, of course, learned that much of the bullying that happens, you know, it could have been changed because of mindfulness. Do you have a story you can share where mindfulness would have made a difference? There are two that come to mind and they were like reference point bullying for me. You know, reference point, I mean, 
something that happens that it changes you and is such a tender wound that it really, it's something to be addressed in one's life in order to heal and move forward. You know, I just want to say about something like that for people listening, that there are splits that happen. When something really traumatic happens to us and we don't deal with it, it becomes a split, by the way. And uh, shamans know about this. They go back and they say they pull back off the pieces of our soul that get split off. Psychologists know about this. So it's really important when you've had something traumatizing to you happen that you take it on at some point when you're ready to heal it. For me, and there were two that I think of that come to mind. One, when I was in sixth grade, um, so I was unpopular, by the way. So I told you I was really awkward, really shy. And that went on for quite some time. And for whatever reason, when I got into high school, completely changed. I then became very popular. So during this unpopular phase of my life, I was in sixth grade, as I told you, I was acting and singing since I was a peanut. And I was cast as the lead in our school play. And the people who were the popular kids sat at the very front lunch table in the lunchroom, only together every day. And one day when I was in this play, one of those people came up and said, would you like to join us? And I'm like, oh my God, they're talking to me. So cool. I take my little lunch bag and it's like, hell yeah, this is awesome. Play goes on, I'm sitting every day with them, I'm a part of their group, it's wonderful as far as I'm concerned. And then the play ends. And I got there to the lunch table one day early, same popular lunch table, and Larry Zaccaro, <laughs> Larry Zaccaro looked over at me and said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, this is where I eat, it's with you guys. And he said, just so you know, nobody here likes you. And I looked at him and I was so shocked. And I said, you're a liar. That's not possible. You're a liar. He said, I'm not a liar. And to prove it to you, I want you to come out to the playground after school is over. So at three o'clock, because I had no mindfulness to protect me at all, <laughs> no choice. I just knew he said it. I went out to the playground. And what happened, Bruce, is I stood on the playground and all of those kids, guys and girls, 10 to 12 of them stood around me. And they went around and each one of them told me why they didn't like me and why they didn't want me to be hanging around with them. And Oh my God, can you imagine the impact of a sixth grader being told, what, you're in a hot seat, but it's not being told all the reasons you're loved and cherished, but it's all of what's wrong with you and all why they're begging you to go away and stop spending time with them. Devastating. Wow. I didn't have anyone Terrible. to go talk to at home about it. So I just ingested that trauma and of course never ate with them again, like, Look, I got the message. So that trauma, had I had mindfulness, so like I said, observer rather than reactor, I mean, first of all, I really believe if I'd been mindful and the energy had changed, or even when it started, I might have noticed, ah, 
they just am looking at me like I'm the star of the show. I'm the newest thing to come along. I'm the it girl for the next 15 minutes. But when those 15 minutes are done, you know, later. So I might have even been aware of that. And had I not, certainly when this, this boy turned to me, I would have been mindful enough to say, no, I, I probably wouldn't have trusted going out to a playground or seeing what's happened. And then if I had gone out to the playground, I would have been mindful enough to take care of myself and say, you know, this is, this is pretty interesting, but I don't need to hear this anymore. And right. moved on. I would have had so many skills to be really clear and separate about who they were being and being the best they could, which wasn't such a pretty thing, but that it had nothing to do with me, that I was actually a beautiful child of God and none of that reflected. So mindfulness would have been the great changer. And I'll tell you, do you mind if I tell you a second piece? No, I'd like to hear the second piece, yes. What's really interesting is that Larry Zaccaro comes back to strike again when I'm a senior in high school. And so because I grew up in this very interesting home and I didn't have any skills other than to basically take things out of myself, I started engaging in a lot of behaviors around right before my senior year. So it was really, you know, I started going out and drinking with friends. I started smoking pot, trying different drugs, and, um, and I was eating. I was eating like a crazy woman to mm. handle the pain, right? Just numb out. And unfortunately, I was really a very pretty girl, and I was a slender girl, and just, oh my God, my senior year of high school, boom. <laughs> I put on a lot of weight. And it's okay for me to laugh because I have a lot of love and compassion. That girl was doing the best she could do. Mm-hmm. And it was what it was. It's not so today, but it was what it was back then. So I put on a lot of weight my senior year, and then went through college. And we had a yearbook coming out and, you know, always exciting. And you could pay to put things in a yearbook like, you know, Debbie and Allison, best friends forever. Or, you know, Jody, remember that time we went to the beach? Always remember when, you know, that really special thing happened with Joe. Fun things like that and pictures. Well, Larry Zaccaro paid to put in there. Debbie Dashinger, why don't you try Weight Watchers? You know, 17 years old, dear God, like kids can be so freaking cruel. And so that was like another piece. And of course, if I had been mindful, I wouldn't have gained the weight because I would have been present with my feelings, with what is and many other components. And certainly a terrible remark like that, again, the separation, like sad kid that you have to bully like that. So that's my bullying story, and it doesn't hold the weight it did, <laughs> she said with a laugh, <laughs> but it doesn't hold, you know, the significance anymore as that traumatic reference point or that split because I've healed so much over time, but in the time, not a nice thing to go through. No, for sure. Wow. And, and now you help so many people to get their stories out there and, and you help them write books or you help them find their story first, don't you? How do you go about that with your clients? Yeah, so there's a good story and you will know this story, but basically people are on top of their message and they don't recognize that they're actually living out their message. So messages sometimes are what I alluded to before, that it can be your wound, 
that actually underneath is the treasure chest of your gift. So you just yes. have to get through it because when it's transmuted, when it's healed on the other side, is actually the gift. Like case in point, uh, Dr. John D. Martini, incredible story. You know, he had learning disability, and it got so bad. And the teacher told him he was stupid. That he went homeless. He was living on a beach in a tent in Hawaii, and no job. Dropped out of school. And one day, Paul Bragg of Bragg's Amino Acids was walking down the beach and sees this poor kid, has a conversation and recognizes the brilliance in this boy and takes him on and says, come with me, I'm gonna mentor you. Mm. And if you know anything about Dr. John D. Martini, he's one of the most brilliant minds I have met. Wow, his information is such a turn on, like who he is and what he turns out and what he has offered to this world. So his wound, became his, his gift. Often with people who are healers and psychics, they've had a tremendous wound in the beginning of their life. They've been shut down and told that can't be. You don't see those things. You don't know those things. Or religiously, you know, that's not okay. And then takes many decades, but they come out on the other side and the ownership is fierce. There's a huge healing around it, a transformation, and that becomes what they give out. There are some people also who just are, they know from a young age and it's more simple for them to own it and be in the spotlight around it. The case in point I might offer with you is something that you and I went through that I thought was tremendous what we saw together. I'll just call him Rob, I won't say much more, but we were in a room and to me this was huge. We were in a room, a mastermind room together and there was somebody who's a really big, effective sales guy who started asking Rob questions about why Rob did fitness, right? All we yeah. knew is Rob's a beautiful man. Rob clearly looks fit. Rob has a fitness business, and he's awesome at what he does. That's all we knew, and we kind of knew Rob. But in asking him the questions over and over, so this guy was trying to get to what is your mission? Like, why are you doing what you do? And Rob took a pause and said, you know, I grew up and my parents were so unhealthy with what they ate. They were so sickly that I looked at them and I said, first of all, not okay to have parents like that. And that I would never let anyone suffer that again, not the parents and not the children. So I do this because I want to ensure that children have parents who are healthy and parents are being healthy for themselves and their children. It's like, whoa, everything shifts in that moment. When you hear that story, that's powerful. Yes, that's what was. you lead with, right? So that's yes. the idea of unearthing one's message to get out the other side. And in my case, it's like no one will ever suffer that neglect of not knowing how special they are, of not knowing that what a message is, is me sage. When you break it up, that someone really has a sage wisdom in them that is all their own unique point of view to give to all of us here. Wow, yes, I remember that moment. That's a great story that you shared. I wanna move forward, Debbie, by asking you five quick answer questions, just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced the mindfulness in your life? My dog. <laughs> I love that answer. I love my dog too. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Debbie? It is the great leveler. Mindfulness affected my emotions. Greatest tool I know. 
greatest tool I know. And in a moment, I can use it anytime. And it has caused me to widen back so I can see all options. It has caused me to calm down. It has caused me to love myself and see opportunities and has created an immense healing inside of me that honestly, it's an ROI. The more I use it, the more returns I get. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Tremendous, right? If you do nothing else, you can change your breath. If you do nothing else, if you're in a room and you don't wanna do anything, you don't wanna do EFT tapping or suddenly start meditating, you can literally just key into your breath and watch your breath come in and out and that will alter everything. Debbie, if you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Hmm. Well, isn't it John Kabat-Zinn who created mindfulness? And I, I really think he's sort of the bomb, you know, in the best way, the diggity bomb. Like if you want to start anywhere, I think that's a tremendous place to start. I love everything he's created out in the world. That would be my recommendation. Yeah, very solid recommendation for sure, yes. And can you share an app of any kind that helps you to be mindful? Oh yeah, I have a lot and I use them for different reasons. Different ones work at different times. If I wake up, if I'm having one of those nights, doesn't happen often, but occasionally I have a night where there's so much going on. Often it's really good things and I'm just trying to keep up with all the opportunity. And sometimes it'll keep me awake or wake me up early and I prefer to have sleep. I will put in uh, Glenn Harold. He's Australian. He's, or I hope he's Australian and New Zealand, forgive me, but he's amazing. He has an app and it, Whoa, totally decompresses me and the messages are beautiful. Of course, I use Calm app. Um, I also have Oprah and Deepak's app on. So every time they do a meditation series, I get into that. And the final one I'll mention is one that my brother and his and my sister-in-law created called uh, Calm with Cancer. So they created an app for cancer patients and doctors and their caregivers. But the meditations, you don't have to have cancer to use them, they're beautiful meditations, beautiful, beautiful. And they're, they use a lot of mindfulness techniques. So that's the other one I'll use. Oh, I'll check that out and I'll put all of those in our show notes. So check it out at mindfulnessmode.com. And that is so exciting. And uh, I didn't ask you about meditation and what it looks like in your life. So I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your meditation practice. My meditation practice is another thing that has to be fluid because I just find at certain times things work better than others. I would say the one prevalent meditation I've had is TM. You know, I've got a mantra. And so I know for 20 minutes that what I can do, and there are times and pockets where it'll be profound, where I literally, anyone who's really done this understands what I'm going to say, but I lose myself. And I become part of the all is, all that is, without a doubt. And when I come back, it is, you know, clear. Those 20 minutes just gave me a lifetime back. The other, I will sometimes use guided meditations. Those are wonderful too. And it has to be particular ones because some of them will irritate me or stimulate me too much or the music is off. So it has to be a, a right voice, a right message. And if there is music, it has to be very relaxing and low. And something I've been playing around recently with a friend has turned me on to is a binaural beats 
that you can use for meditation that sometimes include pictures, flashes of pictures, and also subliminal messages. And she creates them, by the way. Oh. So she's been sharing them with me and invited me to start to create my own. So whatever messages I want to create into, I can create my own with some beautiful beats. And that was really cool. I did it yesterday for a long period of time and found that when I came back, you can call it that when I woke up again, when I finished my meditation, it was really clear that I had had a really positive experience. So I'm going to play around with that one more too. Wow. That's, that's great. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with us. It's, it's been really powerful being here with you today. How can we reach out to you? How can we learn more about what you do, Debbie? Thank you. Happily, you know, debbie-inger.com. It's D-E-B-B-I-D-A-C-H-I-N-G-E-R.com. Certainly a contact form and all the things I do in my radio show, Dare to Dream. We archive all the shows there. And my books are all on Amazon. Same thing, D-A-C-H-I-N-G-E-R, Twitter, also my name. And furthermore, if you know, I'm creating a lot of things around books and visibility out in the world. So if that's something that's in your wheelhouse, definitely pay me a visit. There's some pretty cool ways that uh, we, I have offerings and we can work together and get you out there in a much bigger, much more calm way. <laughs> Debbie, you are so inspiring and it's so great talking with you. And uh, I just wish you all the very best as you continue to help people and, and, and create all kinds of ways for us to be inspired and improve our lives. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you for having me, Bruce. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.